Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the follow button on the Gary and Shannon Show podcast so that you can get updates on what's going on with our podcast. Don't forget to share it as well. Get it? It's adventure music. Also, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you have that opportunity, and tell a friend about what you're listening to when you listen to the Gary and Shannon Show. Gary Hoffman. Yeah. You baby. Shannon Farron. And I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked, but let's just say I kicked every single ass. Gary and Shannon. Sixty-seven is our flashback Friday year because of this song coming out in 1967. Aretha Franklin, of course. It's going to be a fun day. Listen, there's a huge police presence at LAX right now. Like, it needs to be more crowded. There was a report of someone with a gun. A man driving a truck hit a checkpoint this morning. Airport officers say they found loaded firearms, other suspicious devices inside the vehicle. Traffic is still moving through this area. It looks like it's at Century and Sepulveda, but just, uh, I guess, add some extra time if you're headed to LAX. President Trump canceling the big military parade he wanted, at least for this year, because $92 million price tag was revealed yesterday. And then a mayor in southern Italy has closed down a bridge designed by the same architect that created that collapsed bridge in Genoa. All right, so uh, we talked a little bit about this book uh, earlier this week, and we wanted to bring on the author. The name of the book is called Sons of Cain, A History of Serial Killers from the Stone Age to the Present by uh, by Peter Vronsky. And again, we talked about it earlier this week, but we uh, finally got an opportunity to talk to Peter. And Peter, first of all, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I much appreciate it. I got. I got to be honest with you. Being fascinated with serial killers is uh, kind of a dark hobby, don't you think? Um, you know, we've always been fascinated by monsters and things that go, you know, bump in the night, and certainly serial killers meet that category. I think that the fascination stems from our need to protect ourselves from these people and, and, and to figure them out. And you spent a lot of time figuring out serial killers through history. What kind of commonalities did you find, if any? Well, I think um, some of the commonalities are um, that serial killers essentially are either born or made um, in childhood, uh, nearly 20 years before they first uh, start killing. So um, we're talking about children uh, between the ages of 5 and 14 that um, are often traumatized. Uh, There's other combinations of things that happen. It's never one single thing, but whatever it is, uh, at that early age, it starts them off on this fantasy of revenge and, and, and control. Uh, and on average, statistically, uh, when they reach around the age of 27 and 28, they'll cross from fantasy to reality and, and, and take their first life. Is this a particularly American phenomenon, these serial killers? 
We used to think that, but it isn't. Uh, serial killers appear in surges um, all around the world. Um, I've tracked serial killers back to the Renaissance era um, in Europe. Uh, I can't speak about other civilizations, other cultures, but certainly European and North American culture, um, they've been with us since, you know, since the beginning. What causes a surge in serial killers? Well, that's the mystery. Uh, and, and when I looked at these uh, surges, um, you know, we've often, particularly the last big surge, the so-called golden age of serial killing, when we had 82% of American serial killers in the 20th century emerged in the last three decades, 1970 to 1999. And, and, and so that baffles us. And so one of the theories, of course, was, was to look at the period in which they're killing. And, and, of course, you know, you have the 1960s that are a very violent era of disorder. You have the hedonistic 1970s. You have the greed of the 1990s and so forth. And so we often associated serial killers with what was happening during the time they were killing. However, if they're actually coming into formation as children, then you've got to back that up some 20 years, 25 years or so. And so when I looked at that golden age period, um, I suddenly realized that these were kids being brought up by a generation of people and families that were, one, broken uh, by the Great Depression during the 1930s, um, and secondly, traumatized by um, their experiences in the Second World War, which, um, you know, we never really acknowledged uh, just, you know, how brutal that war was and the kind of toll it took on our GIs. And, and certainly the absence of a father figure, um, a disintegrating family is one of those common things we find in serial killer uh, biographies during their, their childhood. So, um, you know, war trauma, uh, economic collapse creates uh, disintegrated families, disintegrated families spawn serial killers and other offenders. I found it most interesting, the idea that these fathers that were uh, either absent because of war or who came back and then were emotionally absent because of war, combined with overbearing mothers, because I think that's what a lot of, that's sort of the trope for a lot of these serial killers, is that mom was the overbearing one here. Yes, and, um, you know, there's a good theory behind it that, that um, I find kind of attractive. The theory is, is, is that, you know, every male child needs to negotiate uh, kind of an independence from their mother's authority. And so if you have an overbearing mother uh, that stifles that independence, uh, the child in frustration begins to develop this kind of rage against the female figure. Um, so that alone is, is you know, not the cause because, you know, a lot of us have overbearing mothers. Uh, we don't become serial killers. But, but when you combine that with a cocktail of other factors, they could be biochemical, um, they could be hereditary, they could be situational and, and so forth, that certainly is one of the common factors, again, in serial killer biographies. But, you know, we haven't figured out that X factor, um, you know, because millions of children, 
uh, have had traumas in their lives and, and have been abused, they do not necessarily become serial killers. So there has to be, you know, other factors, and, and we still haven't identified that X factor. Um, and at this point, I would not, you know, write off good old-fashioned biblical evil yet, whatever that might be. We're talking to Peter Vronsky, the author of Sons of Cain, a history of serial killers from the Stone Age to the present. And I want to go back to the beginning, Peter, with the idea that successful cavemen were serial killers. And did our brain chemistry kind of evolve to make it more likely that we would become a serial killer to survive? Um, absolutely. You, you know, it's, um, it's just more than successful cavemen. It's just human beings, homo sapiens, primitive homo sapiens. Um, we had to be able to serially kill to survive because we were essentially living like an animal in the jungle. Um, and, you know, we had these highly developed instincts to either flee or fight. Uh, and, and, and so we're essentially, you know, been living that way for over 300,000 years, and it's only in the last 15 to 12,000 years that we've become civilized. We start living in societies, organized societies, and, and those organized societies teach us um, to inhibit these violent impulses. But, you know, 12,000 years out of 300,000 years is not a lot of time for us as a human species to, you know, update our software in the brain. And, and so we're all born with these instincts hardwired into our beings, um, and we're taught by good parenting, by luckily being in a good environment, uh, to inhibit these violent, violent instincts. Um, and, and so my argument is, is that, um, you know, serial killers aren't made. Most of us are unmade as serial killers. Those that remain a kind of in their natural state with these instincts highly developed, sometimes fused together because, you know, uh, you as well as, as, as a kind of uncivilized homo sapien would have to have a highly developed reproductive instinct as well. And, and sometimes the reproductive instinct is also fused with the aggression instinct. And, and so you get, for example, the phenomenon of sexual sadism, um, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's these two primitive, what we call reptilian instincts that all living things have in them. The difference is, is of course, civilization discourages us and teaches us to inhibit them. Yeah, I found in that vein the part of your book where you talk about the layers of the brain to be very fascinating. Could you get into some of those descriptions for us? Well, you know, we have three kind of brains that come from a different era. All right. Um, you know, the first one is the basal ganglia, the, the reptilian brain that I just, uh, you know, d described. Um, then we have kind of a, a, a more developed a kind of mammalian uh, cortex uh, where we store memories, emotions, um, you know, the way an animal remembers things that may present a future danger to it. Uh, and, and so these two brains are already are interacting. And then uh, human beings have a third, much newer part of the brain, a neocortex, where our imaginations, our fantasies, uh, our 
are housed, our ability to um, write, uh, create language, and so forth. And, and, and so you have these three brains from different times interacting with each other. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of wiring there, essentially, that can, can go wrong um, as to what kind of signals are being transmitted to the reptilian brain. Um, and so it's kind of filtered through these other two newer brains. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you have like a software crash uh, that occurs where the old brain uh, predominates and, and, and gives that kind of instinctual reaction that we would, you know, interpret as serial killing. In your work in this field, have you been able to sit down and actually interview face-to-face anybody that would be described as a serial killer? Um, I, I, um, I am, in fact, right now. Uh, you know, the very first serial killer I had encountered, I encountered accidentally just traveling. Um, I wasn't looking for serial killers. Um, and, and, you know, that was nearly 40 years ago, back in uh, 1979. And, and so, remarkably, that particular serial killer, Richard Cottingham, I, I am now interviewing him and essentially uh, writing a history of, of his case. And the reason I ask is because uh, Shannon and I have both talked multiple times about the Netflix series Mindhunter, where these FBI, the beginnings of the FBI profiling practice, uh, interviewed what they eventually termed a serial killer, and they were credited with coming up with the term itself. Um, And I'm just I'm fascinated by the process of interviewing somebody that you know is capable of these most heinous acts and even if you look at it from a clinical standpoint like it sounds like you're doing there's got to be some amount of of just abject fear when you're in the room with a guy like that um well you you know this particular individual targeted only women um so i certainly have no fear of him uh but you know i'm sitting in a room with the devil essentially uh and and you know the the impression he's so far i've I've met with him about um eight times and the impression he's left so far on me is that this guy is um a very likable charming um, individual, and, and I can understand how women uh, that he abducted would have uh, gotten into a car with him, would have gone back um, to his hotel room. Here was a guy, and I'm not talking just about you know prostitutes doing it professionally. Um, he targeted both prostitutes and single women in, in singles bars in New York in that era. That's always and, a terrifying um, part about, about those guys. Uh, when I lived in Seattle, I was in my early 20s, and one of my girlfriend's mom would always say to us when we would be leaving to go, to go out, remember, girls, Ted Bundy was a nice guy. <laughs> That's and, right. And, and it's and, true. You know, and and, not only a nice guy, but you know, Ted Bundy was very handsome and popular. I mean, he was considered to be a great catch. Um, so the same with this guy. Richard Cottingham has this great sense of humor. He, he kind of looks like Santa Claus because now he has this, you know, long white hair and a big uh, white beard. Um, totally likable other than for his propensity to, you know, abduct, torture, dismember, and kill women. Uh, Personality trait that would turn people off, I assume. (laughs) Uh, Do you get excited by new cases that come out? I mean, we in the last couple of months have talked extensively about the Golden State Killer case and the break that came from DNA. Um, When when you hear about uh, an arrest like that, especially in a case that's been around for so long, do you get excited? Do you want to find out more details about that person? 
Well, absolutely. Um, you know, that's a fascinating case because, first of all, it's a case that um, occurred again in the golden age. Um, so it occurred in the previous century. Uh, and, and, of course, the mystery for us in cases like that, and, and there are several, including the Green River Killer, the BTK Killer, um, these were all serial killers who were killing in the 70s or 80s or 90s and, and then appeared um, to retire, like, like the Zodiac. Um, and so to find these guys still alive and that they were living their lives, that they managed to somehow stop serial killing is, is something that fascinates us um, as, as, you know, historians of serial homicide, uh, because, you know, that's the big question, whether serial killers ever stop on their own. Well, and, we talked and, about in the case of the Golden State Killer, you know, he was a police officer and he stopped, it seems like, uh, in 1986. And uh, just wondering if there's any correlation between the time that he stopped and during that same year, such advances were made with DNA technology. And as a former police officer, did he follow the advances that law enforcement were making, the strides they were making in IDing guys? And is that what made him stop? That's a very good theory, and it's a very plausible one, uh, because serial killers certainly are known to be forensically aware. Um, they read forensic literature, sometimes high-end forensic uh, literature, um, so they um, do keep up on, you know, their their craft, if you want to call it that. Um, so, you know, the other thing, of course, him being a police officer, one thing you got to remember that um, serial killers are often attracted to um, you know, law enforcement. They often want to be part of that because um, serial killing, essentially, the number one motive is power. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these guys um, would not have been accepted as police officers, but, you know, you, you take the BTK killer, um, he was a uh, by-law enforcement officer. Uh, so, so this need for power certainly is part of their um, category, you know, part of their their character and he's not the first serial killing police officer on record peter before we let you go do you predict another surge well, you know, if my hypothesis about the combination of um, the Great Depression and the Second World War 20 years later spawning this generation of, you know, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy serial killers is correct, then if we look at the war on terror, that not only our um, fathers are fighting, but mothers as well now, um, and a very secretive war. This is this is not as public a war as the Vietnam War was. Uh, and uh, on top of that, this financial crisis in 2008 that just devastated families, and you have you know a generation of kids now growing up in motels, um, you know, with no home essentially, who saw their home torn apart. They saw their their their, their father losing his job, his prom. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of families that were destroyed in that. And, and so, you know, 20 years from now, as these kids begin to approach the age of 27, 28, that average age, you better watch out. Do you think that they are turned off from serial killing when they hear about DNA technology? And do you think they're turned off by the, the fact that it's more likely they, they could get caught these days? Or does that not go into the calculus? It doesn't go into the calculus because serial killing is an addiction. 
Um, and like any addiction, you're sometimes aware of, of its harmful aspects, uh, but you act on that addiction. See, serial killing is an addiction to perfect the realization of a fantasy. What happens to a serial killer is, you know, remember, they're nurturing this fantasy sometimes as early as the age of five, and, and so they're comforted by this fantasy, and they slowly take it out on the road. They try to test it with, uh, you know, smaller crimes like voyeurism or fetish burglaries where they may steal uh, female garments that they're obsessed with, you know, minor crimes. Uh, But eventually they cross that line around, again, the age of 27, 28, and they take their first life. Um, And, of course, it's a shock to them that reality is never like the fantasy that they had. And, And now it's too late for them to return back to the fantasy, having tested it in reality. So every serial killing is an attempt by the serial killer to improve the realization of their fantasy. You know, if only the victim had done this instead of what they actually did, you know, I would have fulfilled my fantasy. And, and so you begin this kind of chasing the dragon's tail, circular addiction to improving one's fantasy. The name of the book is Sons of Cain, uh, like Cain and Abel, Sons of Cain, A History of Serial Killers from the Stone Age to the Present. Peter Vronsky, again, amazing stuff. Thank you for your time today. Coming up next, we are going to take a look at the case coming out of Frederick, Colorado. The husband who killed his pregnant wife and his two little girls talk of infidelity. And unfortunately, we called this one yesterday. We'll tell you all the latest details when we come back. Give me a ticket for an aeroplane. Ain't got time to take a fast train. Lonely days are gone. I'm a going home. My baby just wrote me a letter. I don't care how much money I got to spend. Got to get back to my baby. Gary and Shannon. We're going to have to talk about that story of your wife putting plastic dog poop on the bed at some point in the, in the show today. If you heard yesterday's show, you'll know why this is hilarious. We do it after we clean off the crumbs that handle left in here. He leaves crumbs every day. I don't no, know why you have to be apoplectic about it. This a amount of crumbs. Uh, the, the man accused of setting the holy fire in the Cleveland National Forest uh, back at it, disrupting court proceedings... His arraignment hearing in Santa Ana has been delayed. A judge is questioning his mental fitness. The judge is meeting privately with attorneys in the case to determine how to proceed. He made apparently repeated outbursts when the judge tried to call the case, declaring himself innocent, making repeated comments about an attorney's tie, uh, suggesting that he was transmitting live energy, and questioning if the judge knew what she was doing. Ah. So that's how it's going to go. A whole apparently. load of crazy pants. Um, speaking of trials, the uh, there were some questions for the judge today in the Paul Manafort bank fraud uh, tax fraud trial. And the questions were asked and answered. So the jury's back at deliberations today in Virginia. And uh, speak, speaking of that area, the president today on Twitter announced that he was going to cancel that military parade. I don't know if he was listening to the show yesterday when we were talking about it. But he has decided to cancel that parade. Originally, it was said that it would be pushed into next year sometime. I don't think it's ever going to happen because I think there's a realization that spending tens of millions of dollars, whether it's $20 million or $90 million, that's a bad spend of money. That's a bad way to do it. Well, we go back to Frederick, Colorado today for the second day. This is the case of Chris Watts. 
who killed his pregnant wife and two young daughters. We're learning more details about potentially the why and not too many about the how, but some disturbing details of where he put the bodies of his daughters and why. Yeah, we found out yesterday during the show that, in fact, he had admitted that he did kill his wife and two girls and was going to show the police officers where they were so that their bodies could be recovered. And we found out that, in fact, the bodies were found at a place where he used to work, Anadarko Petroleum Company, where he was working. He's an operator there, whatever that means uh, for, for that oil and gas company. But that the bodies were, in fact, found in oil and gas tanks so that when decomposition started, they wouldn't be found, that they wouldn't smell. There was a bond hearing yesterday at 2.30 there in Weld County, and prosecutors said at the hearing that they believe Shanann and the girls were killed inside of the family's home, but did not say why they believe that. Now, when he was doing the interview... When Chris Watts was doing an interview with a local TV station just hours before he was arrested after confessing, search dogs are going through the house. And it's very eerie because he's talking about his wife and missing girls at the point they were just missing. And he's talking about how traumatic it is for him and how he's you know, leaving all the lights in the house on and all this stuff. And you can hear in the background dogs barking. And it's almost like they were hitting on something inside the house at the same time that he was doing the interview. It's very chilling. I don't know if this is the one, but this is about a minute-long piece, just an example of the interviews that he was giving the day after they had turned up missing and he had been he reported them missing. The kids are my life. I mean, those those smiles light up my life. And this, like, I mean, last night, like, during, like, at, you know, when they usually eat dinner, it was just like I miss them, like, I mean... I miss telling them, hey, you got to eat that or you're not going to get your dessert, you know, and just like you're not going to get your snack after. I miss that. Like I miss them, you know, cuddle up on their couches. They have like a Minnie Mouse couch and a Sophia couch that they cuddle up on and watch, you know, Bubble Guppies or something. And it was just like, you know, I, I, I was, it was tearing me apart last night and I needed that. I needed that last night. And for, that, for nobody to be here last night and to go into their rooms and, not, and know that I wasn't going to turn the rain machines on, I know that I wasn't going to turn their monitor on. No, I wasn't going to kiss them to bed tonight. It was, it, it was, I, I, that's why last night was just horrible. I couldn't do it. it I just, I just want, I want everybody to just come home. Like, wherever they're at, come home. That's what I want. I mean, search dogs are not going to bark like that for for nothing. Uh, There are some friends that talked to Denver 7 yesterday. Nicholas and Amanda Thayer. And they were actually the ones that let Chris Watts stay in their home over the last couple days. And now they say, you know, that they're horrified that they let him stay in their home upon learning what he had done. She says, Amanda Thayer, that last week, Shanann talked to her about some concerns she was having about her marriage, concerns of infidelity infidelity on Chris's behalf. She says that Shanann went to her 
and said that he could possibly be cheating. But at the same time, Shanann was like, you know, he has no game. And when I heard that, and then I coupled that with the emotional conversation that Chris says he had with his wife before he left for work the day that he killed her. Um, you know, he had told uh, officers that before he left for work at about 5.15, that was the last time he saw her, but that they had had an emotional conversation that morning. Yeah, for about and three hours. And I'm thinking that she probably called him out on cheating on her and then said something to the effect of, I can't believe, you know, you, you'd you be able to cheat. You have no game anyway or something like that. One of those things that can incense an insecure man. One of those things like, oh, well, you're not good in bed anyway. Something like that. That if, if a guy's insecure, will send him into a fit of rage. Oh, you've got no game or, or, you know, whatever. Something like that. That's quite, that is quite a theory. I mean, if that's what the inner, because he was alone. He was alone that weekend, all last weekend. He was alone with the kids because she was in Arizona or something for a, for a business trip and came back very early Monday morning, one thirty, two o'clock, something like that. And then that's when this emotional conversation took place for about three hours. Can you imagine? She, she'd been at a business thing all weekend, and she comes home basically in the middle of the night, Sunday night, Monday morning. She's probably exhausted. So whatever... If that's the case, I mean, if this emotional conversation hinged around her accusing him of having an affair, maybe she found something when she got home. Yeah. That says, well, that's not my brush or whatever. And that prompted this conversation. Well, Here's and, and I, kids, by I, the way, too, you know, you have little kids oh, yes. and you think that they are not picking up on what you're doing. Like if he was trying to be super shady, low key about this, about this affair, alleged affair, um, and he thinks that he can talk to the woman on the phone or text her or whatever it is, kids pick up on that stuff. Even very, even a four-year-old can pick up on that and say the four-year-old told mom something when mom comes home. Yeah, daddy was on the phone with uh, Susie or whatever. Right. That's just a bizarre thing. Now, I'm going to play for you again that that piece because we didn't notice it yesterday when we played this. But again, he's giving an interview to a TV station out in front of his house while detectives are inside the house. With search dogs. With dogs. And they. it sounds like not all of them bark when they hit on something, but uh, if it's something big enough, there's a chance that they could do that. It, it was. I, I, that's why last night it was just horrible. Listen in the background. I couldn't do it. I just, I just want, I want everybody to just come home, like wherever they're at, come home. And I wonder if that struck me yesterday when I was listening to it. And then when I found out during the bond hearing that they believe the family was killed in the home, it made perfect sense. I wonder if he was conscious of that. No, he was not. I don't think he's a smart person. Maybe he's smart enough to, he's smart enough. Here's the thing about the, remember the friend that came over to their house at about noon on Monday, was the one who originally said, hey, whatever happened to Shanann? I was supposed to go out. Apparently, it's the same friend that brought her home in the middle of the night. They gave her ride home from the airport. Which was odd, too. Very odd. Well, except that he's if he's home alone with the little girls, oh, it would oh, make oh, sense. Oh, that, yeah, that um, right. so, but the idea that it was the friend who may have prompted him to get off his butt and call the police faster than he wanted to. Yeah. Think about that. Because she was the one that made the missing persons report. Well, and if she, if that had never happened, if she had never come over to the house or if, you know, if something, yeah. it, 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 he could go a couple of days before anyone would even know that they were not alive or that they weren't heard from. So that would have been really suspicious, though, that he wouldn't phone that in after a couple of days. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your wife and your kids go missing. You haven't heard from them. You're texting. You're right, not getting anything back. What I mean is if you if if he was able to say, uh, hey, they've they've just they've just been at home like she was tired. So she spent all day Monday just lounging around, I hanging see. out with the kids. And then she was going to go take them whatever to the park. So if he made up a whole fake narrative. Right. That it was blown apart by this friend who shows up and, and ends up initiating the police case. Shanann and the little girls had just spent about six weeks with her family members. And I believe in, in another area of Colorado, perhaps uh, her brother has taken to Facebook. And we're getting a look uh, into where he's at. And it's just utter heartbreak. You know, the other thing about this is the money that's involved. The financial issues that they had almost appear to go opposite the way you would think they were going, where they they were doing better financially than they had in the recent past. And that's just a weird aspect of this as well. We're talking about this case out of Frederick, Colorado, where the guy has uh, admitted now to killing his four-year-old and three-year-old daughters and his wife and putting their bodies in an oil field in northern Colorado where he worked. More of this coming up next. Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. Some of the stories you're going to hear about today include the military parade that has been canceled. The president said that... The mayor of D.C. was trying to jack up the price for a military parade that was supposed to be held around Veterans Day. We'll see if that's ever rescheduled. Also in that area, the defense in the Manafort trial, the Paul Manafort trial, uh, it's long since rested. They did ask some questions, the jury did, of the judge today, and then they went back in, continued their deliberations. But, I mean, again, the defense attorneys didn't mount any sort of a defense saying that their cross-examination of the prosecution witnesses should be enough. So we'll see exactly where that goes. Locally, the USC investigation continues. In fact, the DA has said they're looking at as many as 30 cases, I think is the number, of uh, potential assault cases against that gynecologist at USC. We're talking about the case out of Frederick, Colorado. Chris Watts, 33 years old, killed his pregnant wife and two little girls ages three and four. And the new details this morning are that they did find the bodies yesterday, that he put the the little girls in uh, oil tanks to mask the smell of his daughter's. That's some ridiculous uh, monstrosity. Oh, of a, good of a Lord. Human being. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know what goes on with that brain wiring. And we were also um, talking about what made this case unique as the guy was giving interviews to police, uh, sorry, to, to the media after his after he had killed his wife and daughters and hid their bodies. He was giving these tearful, you know, I miss my family, this sort of thing. And as Shannon pointed out. One of those interviews was given while police dogs were in his house. And I'm going to play it again because I think it's incredible. The police dogs are barking inside the house while he's giving the interview outside. It, it was, I, I, that's why last night it was just horrible. I couldn't do it. it I just, I, just want, I want everybody to just come home. Like wherever they're at, come home. And those well, dogs barking there, uh, Probably played into the fact that yesterday during the bond hearing, the prosecutor said that they believe the family was killed at the home. Another new piece of information today is that friends of the couple say that Shanann was 
concerned about maybe some infidelity on his part. And when he was doing these interviews, I got the same feeling I got watching Scott Peterson. And some of you also commented about that on Twitter. He does seem similar. He he is uh, down to the tone of his voice down to uh, being a relatively good-looking young guy. And it just seemed to me like, this guy's got a girlfriend. That's what this is all about. Um, The brother of Shanann has taken to Facebook. His photo page, by the way, on Facebook is all kind of about his nieces. It's a lot of pictures of him and his his little nieces. And he wrote a a post yesterday about 1 a.m. saying, I just want to know why. My precious family, my one and only sibling, my sister, Shanann, my two adorable nieces, Bella and Celeste, and their soon-to-be unborn brother, Nico, I just want 30 seconds alone with that heartless psychopath. May Satan have mercy on his soul. The cops drug their feet. He was the only one with them and backed his truck into the garage. Doesn't take a genius to know who is suspect. My blood is boiling. The pain and anger and sadness I have in my heart. Nothing would get in the way of taking away his life like he did mine and my entire family. There's weird things also. There's a headline in the Denver Post today about the financial troubles that they had, deep financial troubles. And we told you yesterday that they had they had filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy about three years ago. And they had liabilities, they said, of more than $400,000. On July of this year, the HOA filed a civil claim against them, according to court records. But at the same time, they were talking about a a very prosperous period over the last couple of months, where online, Shanann would talk about qualifying for amazing trips, places that they'd never be able to afford to go on their own, if they didn't qualify. The assumption is that they were qualifying through her work. Yeah, she she was was... doing a great job as a brand promoter, I believe, for this uh, health company. Yeah, and she she was very successful at this, apparently. And they were beginning at least the process, it looked like, of getting out of whatever financial hole they had found themselves in just a few years earlier. So there's a couple things going on here, right? Um, He loses his job at this oil field. He no longer works there. He's not bringing in any money. She's suddenly the breadwinner. She's bringing in the money. Again, if you're an insecure guy and your wife is out earning you, that's probably not good for the marriage. And then add into this affair that maybe was precipitated from the fact that she was now running the household uh, and her maybe calling him out on the affair and saying something like, you don't have any game. How are you able to manage that? Because that's what she told her friend. It just seems like a perfect storm for a psychopath who's wildly insecure. Well, we don't know exactly what went into the arrest affidavit because according to court yesterday, according to the judge, he decided to keep that thing sealed, at least on behalf of the prosecutor's request from yesterday. But there is a good chance that he will be charged with um, murder coming on Monday, I think. Monday afternoon is their deadline to actually file charges. So when that happens, there's a likelihood that we would see more information specifically about the evidence they have against this guy. More coming up next on Gary and Shannon.
and I saw her face. Gary Chan. It's Friday. It is August 17th. Keeping an eye on some big stories for you. President Trump canceling that big military parade he wanted, at least for this year. Uh, press reports surfaced yesterday that it was going to cost $92 million. I don't know how it's going to be cheaper next year. I don't know what the thinking uh, behind that is. I don't know if he's waiting for the price to come down. I, I don't know anybody who wants this. Also, Elon Musk revealing that stress is taking a heavy toll on him, and that's taking a toll on Tesla shares. Not good. Um, speaking of the president, he is expecting, he says, to quickly revoke the security clearance for the Justice Department official whose wife was working for the firm involved in producing the Steele dossier. Uh, he says that Bruce Orr is a disgrace. It's likely, he says, that he will re- revoke that security clearance relatively quickly. Of course, that on the heels of revoking the security clearance of a former CIA chief, uh, John Brennan. We have a special guest. <sighs> well, that was a big sigh, Fred. Uh, no. Uh, hi, everybody. And Fred Rogan is here. Hi. <laughs> and you know why I'm here? Because the president revoked my security clearance, too. Oh, well, you still no. have a badge. What are you Same talking thing. about? You got like two or three badges Yeah, there. but this is NBC, my Dodger credential, and yeah. iHeart. What used more to have, do you need, I used really? to have CIA. Oh, oh wow. But he, he took that from me. They had you in those high-level intelligence briefings, huh? Well, intelligence would not be a word you would use if I was in the room. <laughs> But I was around. I'll just say that. <laughs> you were there for the to yeah. provide a good time. You were the That's, bagel and juice guy. Hey, thank you. That's right. <laughs> and a little cream cheese right. with chives. All right. Well, anyway, I'm here for a couple of reasons today. Thank you for having me. First of all, um, and Gary, I hope you won't be offended by this. I never am. Okay, good. Uh, uh, we have a bone to pick with Shannon, and it comes from somebody at NBC. You know, Shannon does Ooh. our show Going Rogan. Sure. And uh, you do a terrific job, by the way. Thank you. What the hell? She's yeah, bracing I, herself I, right now. I, uh, for what's I, about I to swear all the time on Fred's program. You know, it's it's really well yeah, on, on this show. It, we don't really need to class it up. You know what I mean? We say hell. We say you know urinate, uh, penis. Sure. But, you know we say a lot of words. Suck. All of that, and yeah. then I go over to NBC, and it's like classy town, right? Uh, it's like yes. classy people town. Right. You know, I can't dress like a homeless. The whole bit. And I have to pretend to be a completely different person is what it is. And sometimes when I'm low on sleep or something like we were last week, right. uh, the filter's gone and yeah. I am just myself. And then bad things happen. And uh, I have to apologize to Fred and no. everybody else in the room and no, really NBC as a whole. <laughs> Not necessary. I mean, but you have said suck, hell and ass. Yeah. On the show. I know. In that order or? Uh, these yeah. are on multiple episodes. Okay. Yeah. Different times. Yeah. yeah. So it's always exciting when Shannon comes on. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, Lori, Lori, oh, you yeah. know Lori. Lori. Lori does makeup for She's us. Great. Love Lori. She's the best. She listens to you guys every single day. Oh, yeah. she loves your show. Thanks. That's and she nice heard you her. guys uh, talking about makeup the other day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you had made the comment that you'd never had the smoky eye. She has created the smoky eye. Right. For, oh, for me. that's a good. But I have never created my own smoky eye. I right. guess I should have clarified that. Right. Well, she she wanted... does a great smoky eye. Yeah, she wanted it known when you yeah. said you had not done the smoky eye. Right. Yes, you've had the smoky eye, and she's done it. Yes, and she is a magician when it comes to makeup. Truly. Well, so wait a minute. So the whole I... point about the smoky eye was you were going to do it on me. I know, and I forgot to bring this, the makeup in. What is the smoky eye? It's when it's smoky. It's a dark... Thank you for that. I don't know. You know, um, 
uh, dark shading. Sh- shaded and then faded? Yeah. It's I don't you, know. It's I'm you terrible. Shade it and you fade it. I'm terrible oh, at the makeup. Shade fade. Yeah. Yeah. Shade it's, fade. It, back in the old days, they used to call it the shade fade. Sure. And then when when the colors went more monochromatic, they decided to call it. Say, hey, it looks gray and it almost looks like smoke. Let's call it the smoky eye. Have you been watching ah. those YouTube makeup videos? I have a 16 year old daughter. I have to watch those. Okay. I have to stay in contact with her. That's very impressive. Thank you. Very impressive. So tell us about the pets. Oh, you know, I just want to say I used to do makeup at NBC for people. Really? Yeah. I did my own makeup for like 25 years. Then Lori came and I said, you can do it. But if a makeup artist got sick, I'd jump in. I would do it. I could do your makeup right now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Don't don't threaten me. I'm Well, <laughs> I've always considered you a handsome man. <laughs> this weekend, anyway, big goings on tomorrow. Yeah. NBC and Telemundo work together and we clear the shelters, the animal shelters throughout Southern California. There are 65 shelters and locations participating and the deal is this you can go down you can adopt a pet and it'll cost you around twenty dollars sometimes if three people want the same pet you bid on it but overall if you go down there and you say i want that one i want that little person to come home and love me twenty dollars you walk out of there and you got a new pet you've helped clear the shelters it's a great event how do the pets respond to being auctioned are they uh, sensitive about it or do they enjoy it well, I mean, the thing about the pets, you know, they're competitive, even in the shelter. Yeah. And uh, you'll see one take a swipe at another one if they think that they're going to go for more money. I mean, mm-hmm. it happens that way. Yeah, and I think I think you most see that. Uh, it's most often seen in the cat uh, arena. It because, gets, it gets nasty. They'll throw cats in the same place at the same time, mm-hmm. and you'll see them going after It's them. not like cockfighting. No. It's not like that. No, no, no. But, I mean, it is. A but, very but competitive environment. Are you trying to get me back on my show? <laughs> you, <laughs> you'll, you'll see a Siamese push a tabby off the top of the play structure. I've seen it. Just to believe, just to prove that they're king of the hill. No, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. It can get crazy. But aside from the competitive nature of all of the animals, you can't adopt a pet for 20 bucks. And yeah. it's really cool. And it's so important. And you know, as you guys know, all these animals do is want to love you. We have... Uh, we have a, a shelter dog. We rescued one. Our daughter did, actually, some years ago in Tucson, the Dirty T. So we took Remy out of the Dirty T and brought him here, and now he lives with us, and he could not be any more loving. They, all they want to do is be loved. Named yeah. after Remy Martin? Uh, no, named after Remington Steele. Oh. His I full like name it. is Remington. I like that a lot. That's a strong dog name. Yeah, and the other part of it is this, too. Um, if Did you he come... replace your old dog, T.J. Hooker? <laughs> <laughs> and Lee Majors? Yeah. yeah. That was our other one. Uh, the other thing is this. So it's 20 bucks. You come on down. Opens at 9 o'clock in the morning. They're all over Southern California. Van Nuys or in Orange County. I'll be at Pasadena tomorrow from uh, 7 a.m. on, and uh, as a special bonus, adjusted Pasadena. Last year, I walked around and gave people 20 bucks. Oh, that's cool. And I said, go get yourself an animal. Oh, get yeah. a dog or a cat. This year, I've already done that. I'm going to try something new. What are you going to do? You come on down. Yeah. You, you you take the animal. You pick your new your new friend. Uh, for 50 additional cents, I will spay or neuter them right there. You will do the actual spaying and neutering. And if you go, you know what? This pet doesn't need it. For 50 cents, I will spay or neuter you. You're a renaissance man. There's nothing you can't do. You can do makeup. You sure. can do spaying and neutering. Yeah. And uh, I've actually got my, I've got my medical tools. 
You do. So I'll be ready. You have your own neutering kit That's that you travel with. That's right. I have it in the other room now. Well, let's hope you don't give somebody a smoky genitalia and then cut out their eye See, in, that, in the mix-up of the bags. There is a danger, so I right. have to be very careful. Fred Rogan, thank you so much. And if Thanks, you're guys. curious, by the way, cleartheshelters.com. You can find all of the different shelters around you and the ones that are participating. So very cool. Fred, thank you. you guys have a good weekend. Thank you. you uh, too. We'll get, come back to the Gary and Shannon show. the song i feel like i've drank a bottle of jack and and done wild drugs 1967 is our flashback friday year there was a story just the other day it was like this day in history where ray manzarek had to drag jim morrison off stage somewhere somewhere in the northeast like boston or something like that because of his wild drugs no because he came out onto the stage and he goes to see my yeah, and then genitalia. He, and then he urinated from the stage, yeah. I believe. Yeah, and Ray Manzarek, the keyboardist, <laughs> had to take him off stage before the club. He was a bruise, actually. <laughs> the guy who owned the club pulled the plug on the whole thing. The man accused of setting the holy fire has put on quite the exhibit in court. A lot of outbursts, uh, talking about an attorney's tie, suggesting he's transmitting live energy, asking the judge if she knows what she's doing. Andrew Mullenbeck was there for the theatrics, and we'll talk to him coming up later in the show. Hey, the judge in the Paul Manafort trial has said that he has been getting threats everywhere he goes. He is now protected by U.S. Marshals and says that he has no interest in revealing the identities of the jurors who are currently working on that case. Jury is still deliberating, by the way. President Trump says he expects to quickly revoke the security clearance for the Justice Department official whose wife worked for that firm involved with the dossier on Trump's ties to Russia. Bruce Orr is his name, so that could be happening sometime today as well. Eric Garcetti could run for president. And and when, when I say that, there's still part of me that doesn't believe it. I know I know that he's not going to go anywhere. There's zero chance that he would get the nomination. He but. doesn't have the name recognition outside of Los Angeles, and he's just not exciting. And I know that we should want the smartest people when it comes to policy running for, for president. I, I get that, but you've got to have a spark. And Eric Garcetti is about as exciting as a ham sandwich, and that is that is mean to the ham. <laughs> You know, because ham can even be the ham, ham is embarrassed be at that point. Amazing. You I mean, spice you, it up. you could get you, some prosciutto in you there. Put some. You could put some sriracha on ham and make it a little tangy, you know, a little I, exciting. I, I'm more excited to buy mortadella than I am by Eric Garcetti. If you put a, a sriracha on Eric Garcetti, he would go. Ow. You know, he doesn't drink coffee it because burns. it puts him to because, sleep. Sh- no, it's it, true story. No, he says coffee has the opposite effect on him that it puts him to sleep. Okay. I mean, get mix in a Red Bull, maybe. You is, know, maybe is we his find heart a on new... the opposite side of his chest too. I don't know. Uh, I saw that on ER once. I was going to say that sounds like a movie. So the Associated Press sat down after popping about six of those five-hour energy drinks. Sat down with uh, Mayor Garcetti to talk about a bunch of things, including the potential run for president in 2020. And I think 
I think part of the somnambulistic tone of what he's doing. Good word. I'm not even sure I used it right. The the tone of what he's uh, that the tone that he's using in his interviews are his attempt to make himself sound very different than Donald Trump. That's what I assume. For example, he talks about President Trump, in his words, trying to divide us. But we do have a uh, a president, commander in chief, who is using race to divide us, and not just race, immigration status, geography. He wants to divide us by these kind of essential categories to point, you know, fingers. Oh, if you feel like people have left you behind, it's not my failure in Washington. It's because of this person who looks different from you, who speaks different from you, who worships different from you. And I think that's incredibly corrosive. Um, it goes against e pluribus unum. It is not who we are. He, that's uh, Latin, I mean, by the way. Yeah. Stronger as one. Uh, <clears throat> I think his motto is, you know, stronger by division. Imagine if he had any energy yeah, yeah. there. You know, his motto is stronger by division. You know what I mean? Just get yeah. some sort of excitement. It, uh, you know, put some exclamation points on there. <laughs> Don't just have a monotone <laughs> interview. And I know it's probably some of the, the thinking in sounding presidential, but Eric Arcetti is smart enough that he sounds presidential. He needs the energy. He needs a spark. He yeah. needs a little charisma. And he, I feel like he can get there. But again, the talk about him running for president is ridiculous because I don't even think that he could be elected governor in California. You know, you go up north and you're talking about Eric Garcetti. People don't know who the hell you're talking you about. You couldn't pick him out of a crowd. Mm-mm. I mean, you could walk down the street in, in San Francisco and pass Eric Garcetti and not recognize him. And Eric Garcetti, if you're a liberal, a San Francisco liberal, you this is one of your gods. Yeah. But they don't even know about him, really. And it makes me wonder who is who is close to him, because even if he's been talking about or not committing to running for president in a couple of years, there's got to be somebody next to him who's organizing this non-official effort, trying to put together the list of donors, trying to get potential uh, uh, endorsements from other Democratic politicians They've got to be able to say to him, listen, if you're going to throw your hat into the ring, you better do it loud and proud and not do it from behind, you know, a, a veil of I'm just going to be calm and I'm smarter and I say things in Latin. I, I come from an older school that racism is something that lives in everybody, but he certainly seems to be much more comfortable with his racism, letting it out. Can, wait, I, I, hold on a second. What did he just say? I, I come from an older school that racism is something that lives in everybody. No, racism doesn't live in every. In, no. no, 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 no. There are people that believe that. Racism is a taught. That you not feeling bad because you're white and you have had an easier path is racist. Okay. I mean, there really are people that, that that is racism for them. The greatest argument against that is anyone under the age of five. If you've ever seen groups of kids get together under the age of five before their brains have been uh, uh, diluted or tainted by their parents or their environments, kids don't give a damn who you are, what you look like. You're missing an eye, a leg. They don't care as long as you can keep up your end of the game, whatever game that happens to be. We're not born racist. I don't even know what's Coming up next. Oh, Dean is here. I think we're going to build a fence today or something. Maybe we should build a window. They fixed it. The window shade is fixed. (laughs) You should probably 
erase that from the window. Why? And, Time to fix the shade. Yeah. Gary, by the way, washed all of the windows in the studios today. It was something to behold. Is there you're something cleaning wrong up the, with me you're last week? At I... the office. Yeah. You're washing He's windows. nesting. Why are you nesting? Oh, oh boy. Because I'm putting on pregnancy weight. Do we need to get Dr. Wendy back in? <laughs> For what? To figure out why you're nesting. Oh, I thought she was going to do an exam. I'm not no, pregnant. No, 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 no. She's not no. that kind of doctor. I know. That's why I asked. Daughter why goes the... back to school and now you're nesting. Yeah, something's going on with you and your emotions. Oh, maybe. Boom. And you had that donut this morning. Somebody get the couch. Stop. I know I stand in line until you think you have the time to spend an evening with me. And if we go someplace to dance, I know that there's a chance you won't be leaving with me. Gary and Shannon. On this Friday, it's August 17th. Looks like LAX was the site of a huge police presence this morning. Two guns found inside a pickup truck after a driver was stopped at a checkpoint there at LAX. I guess he was a, an enthusiast, like a World War II reenactor yes, enthusiast. Or yes, the, the, so, the, the, the they grenades they found were inert uh-huh. and filled with silicone. But you can see where, when they pulled the car over and they found guns and grenades that that would be a little troubling i'm glad they stopped the guy sure uh the judge in the paul manafort trial has said that he has been receiving death threats uh and as a result he has been traveling around with u.s marshals and he is not going to reveal the names of the jurors the jury by the way still deliberating in that bank fraud and tax fraud trial in virginia looks like elon musk is in a bit of a spiral remember last week when he tweeted that he might take tesla private and then he did a wide-ranging interview with the New York Times talking about how stress is taking a heavy toll on him. Uh, investors didn't like that. Tesla shares uh, fell uh, upon the opening bell. Hey, it's our time uh, on Friday at 1130 to welcome in our friend Dean Sharp. Hey! Host of Home on Sundays right here on KFI. How Dean? are you today? I'm doing well. How does this look? I mean, the shade is fixed, right? Yeah, there is a lot. Of, there are a lot of holes in that drywall up there. Let's Dean hope, hope it holds this time. Dean Sharp handed me a... A pair of gloves, yeah, and I put them on without asking any questions. That's right, Isn't you that did. Odd? That is so. That is such a great sign of the trust that we have established. I'm That's your sous so chef. Nice. I you just know? just I'm throw you the gloves. Apprentice. You're like, all right, I'm putting these on because yeah. uh, Dean's gonna have me do something. I don't know what. My mentor. What are we even getting into today? Because you have a whole lot of stuff in here. Yeah, but it's only one thing. Oh, okay. It's only one thing. I just want to introduce everybody to uh, a new idea, a product that's out there that a lot of people don't know about. And it has to do with fencing. It's not what we're doing the show on on Sunday. Uh, we're talking about paving, actually, on Sunday. But I thought you guys would enjoy this. So let's say that you're Shannon Farron. I'm Shannon Farron. Let's say it's Saturday morning. And as per usual, you wake yourself up at 5 a.m. Smelling like Chardonnay. You, you, Easy. You old slide on your pink slippers. You head out to the kitchen. You grab the, the – you open the mini fridge. You pull out uh, a Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, At five and as, in the morning, and as you're sitting there enjoying it, well, over just, because it'd be, the coffee probably be more it. like champagne. That's okay. more of a morning beverage. As you're enjoying your morning libation, you realize, oh my gosh, it's Saturday. I was going to put up 50 feet of fencing in my backyard, <laughs> and so she sits down and she does a quick calculation. She's going with 50 feet of wood fencing. That's going to be that's going to be like seven fence posts. And after I dig the fence post hole. I'm going to need about 700 pounds of fence post mix cement to secure these fence posts. That sounds like a lot. And then she remembers she doesn't have a truck. 
She doesn't want to get the car dirty, and she doesn't want to carry 700 pounds of fence post mix. So what do you do, Shannon? I hire someone. No, you <laughs> pour that second glass of champagne, and you forget about putting up a fence. And by the way, I think we're, we're is this Instagram or Facebook today? Facebook Live. Facebook yeah. Live right now here and at home for Gary and Shannon and at, at Home with Dean. You can check this out. So instead of a 50-pound bag of fence post cement, you can pick up one of these little pouches right no here. No way. This is it right here. This is inside here. There are two compartments there uh, of chemicals. When they mix together, which we're about to do, uh, it's going to form an expansive polyurethane foam that is specifically designed to replace concrete in fence post holes. Mm, This is why I woke up this morning. So Uh, is this an epoxy of some kind? Would you call it that? No, you would call it expansive polyurethane. It's like unto that that foam insulation stuff in the can that you would get to, like, seal up bits of the house. Oh, okay. But this is exterior rated for fence posts. Now, not structural fence posts, but but fence posts nonetheless. So I brought in a little cylinder You brought in a hole. This is the hole. Right. Right? Here is... uh, Here's our spindly little fence post with okay. a little fence post level on it. And uh, now Shan's got her gloves on, so we're going to make this happen. All right, let's, yeah. let's okay. make some polyester. So, there's, so again, it's one bag. So, that Gary, looks you're going like to do the play-by-play. Yes, play. I'll do the play-by-play. Play. So it's one bag that looks like it's separated in the middle. There's a seam in the middle. And All right, Shan, so you're going to roll this up okay. like this, this way, really hard until you feel that burst. So she's going to... Burst. Yeah, roll it like a so she's tube of toothpaste. Yeah. Pressure, it's not pressure. Burst on Keep going. You. It's almost oh, there. there. Oh, okay. okay. So now right, the now. two bags are one. Now we're going to mix it. And you're mixing it up. Okay. It almost looks like one of those ice packs that you would get. Yes. Right. We're just going to shake it back and forth, mix it up. Okay, you ready? Oh, look, there's Rodney Pete. So right. <laughs> now the key here is hey, we only Pete. do this for about 15 seconds because this stuff starts expanding. So if you don't get it done. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh God! Okay, Pressure. we're gonna cut the corner. So you're Pressure. cutting the very corner of it. Okay. Hold it up here, right. real carefully. Okay. okay. Yep. Now we're gonna put the hole in. Now. Oh man. The post is ahead. now in the Go hole. Down. The hole is basically about a five-gallon bucket. It looks like. Oh man! So you're pouring that stuff in there, and it looks dark. It looks like it's like slime. dark green. It almost looks like a simple green. It's that warm. cleanser. You say it's warm. Yeah. So that's the chemical uh, reaction, I assume, between the two. The binary agents. That's I learned that in college. There you go. And now, you know, just toss that in the trash can. Okay. Here's a trash can over here. And now we wait. So now, I wish this happened. I wish this all happened in like 15 seconds. It right. doesn't. Okay. It takes take about a few minutes. It takes about three minutes for it to come to full capacity, and then it's going to take two hours before you want to put any weight or stress on it. I mean, Come I suppose in, if you look down inside, I suppose I could see. watch it on Facebook Live. Look, Rodney, but... I just built this fence. What's happening there? You can see it moving. Oh, it is. Look, it's growing. Look at it. It's growing. Look at it. It's growing. expanding. It oh, my gosh. It's alive. It is alive. Now, hold on a second. How much does this cost compared to what would be 50% or, or 50 pounds of? A 50-pound bag of fence post mix. Instant yeah. fence post mix. Is, you know, you can Look get it this. for about 4 bucks or so. Okay. This is about 11 bucks. This is so great. you're, but so you're saving so not only it's twice as much, right? But that's not a lot, especially when you're saving the amount of time that you're saving to do this, right? Exactly, and the lay, you know, the the, the sweat, the you know, carry fifty pound bags you would take to do seven posts. You would need two bags per post, right? 
that's 700 pounds of cement that you're lugging into that the backyard for the project instead of, you know, seven to ten of these little baggies and a pair of scissors. And that's essentially. And, and it's it, just as uh, as strong. Or as... fence posts. Now, again, this is not for structural posts. I'm not that putting that under lo- my deck. Or yeah, this is like not that. supporting the weight of a deck. Right. But fence posts, uh, that post that holds up your mailbox, anything sure. like that, you know, the gate post, it's all it's all well and good. It it works totally well. In fact, there are a couple of advantages to this. Not only do you get the project done in a day instead of waiting around for the cement to cure, but uh, this is polyurethane, closed-cell polyurethane, ultimately. It will seal this piece of wood uh, to keep moisture away from it, which concrete doesn't. Concrete is porous, so the moisture in the ground will go right through the concrete and, and be attacking the wood post constantly, Whereas this performs, you know, basically forms like a wow. six to eight inch protective barrier around the fence post. So you don't and look, it's already standing up on its own now. Yeah. And you don't even need uh, a pressure treated uh, post or anything like that. It's always a good idea to use a pressure treated post. You can post. really in... do that also after a glass of champagne. You really could. Ah, the only question I would have is how do you know that? The post may I... not be straight. If you do it after a glass of champagne, it's just not labor intensive. You know, oh, what I mean? you're not saying you you today you have proved in the fact that you can no, do it no, after. No, 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 no. I'm just saying hypothetically speaking. So here's the real advantage: yeah. later today, you can cut this cardboard away from this, mm-hmm. and and now the two of you will have uh, in the office a club, a club with a foam, a big foam block at the end. For real, we can keep it that you can just you know swing away. Oh my gosh. Swing away. So, like this, in Aliens. I'm not Aliens. In Signs. Signs ever. Swing away, Shannon. <laughs> Swing away. Blake likes it when you when you make new toys for him. Yeah, we love right? toys. Right? Yeah, we're still using that this pex pipe rival as the a pets. bat. So how yeah. long before that thing sets up completely and you could start adding the rest of your fence to it? Two hours. That's amazing! Right? Yeah, that's Already cool. it's starting to... I can't now, you pick wanna, it up quite yet. Gary, I can see the look in his eye. He wants to go home and build a fence. Somewhere yeah, in his house. I have all cinder block fencing, so I'm not going to do that. You could build I a could little... build in the front yard. Yeah. A and fen- then your dog... Hiding nothing from nothing. Your just, dog could play around so and... use it. <laughs> My fake your... one-panel fence yard. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Let's see. There are more uses for this than just fence posts, but this is its purpose. That's awesome. Dean, thank you so much. You're welcome, guys. Dean, Dean Sharp. Sharp. Happy Friday. Here on Sundays, uh, 9 to 11, right here on KFI. Follow him at Home with Dean on all of the social medias. Yes, sir. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Thank you, too. Coming up next, uh, miniature horses as service animals. It's a reality for at least one airline. Tell you all about it. For an airline? Airline. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Amy King is waiting to see where she's going to book her next ticket. Shannon, it's Friday. It is August 17th. I loved that interview with Peter Vronsky this morning. I did too. I think we should replay it. Um, he wrote that book, The Sons of Cain. It's all about the history of serial killers. Uh, how are they made? Nature versus nurture. Commonalities. Maybe we do that at one thirty. Yeah, let's do that. If you didn't catch that, we'll, we'll play that again at one thirty. Um, the book, again, Sons of Cain. Check it out. If you're fascinated by serial killers or... 
what makes people tick, the broken people, then this is probably a great one you want to listen to. Um, some of the stories that we've been keeping an eye on, the Vatican has finally responded to that scathing grand jury report out of Pennsylvania. Uh, it is expressing shame and sorrow over the grand jury report. A statement from the Holy See called the abuse criminally and morally reprehensible and said that Pope Francis wants to eradicate this tragic horror. President Trump says he expects to quickly revoke the security clearance for the Justice Department. Uh, de, uh, Take two. President Trump says he expects to quickly revoke the security clearance for the Justice Department official whose wife worked for the firm involved in creating that dossier on Trump's ties to Russia, a guy by the name of Bruce Orr. Also, there's something going on with the Miss America pageant. The reigning Miss America says she has been bullied, manipulated, and silenced by the pageant's current leadership. She's been left out of interviews and meetings. <laughs> can I, can I, I'm going to admit something here about Miss America pageants. Mm-hmm. That is a world I don't understand. It I've is... never understood why you would want to be part of that. Well, I think it is a stepping stone for women to get into, you know, uh, whether it be acting well, or. Let me apologize on behalf of the patriarchal society for putting women in such a place where they feel like they have to go through the pageant system to get real jobs. This year's competition will not include those swimsuits. So we're making what? progress. Well, I'm not watching it then. Never mind what I said. <laughs> uh, again, we've it's time for terror in the skies. Flight 209, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Get off my plane. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! It's Gary and Shannon's Terror in the Skies on KFI. I so, I know, I do too. I have a... I found on the internet a t-shirt that says, Fly it like you stole it. And it's a picture of a, an Alaska Airlines Q400. Fly it like you stole it. Puget Sound flight tours. I think that's a it's a T-shirt waiting to happen before Alaska Airlines shuts it down. I'm ordering it right now. So, are you what serious? What size are you? I'm a large. Okay. Get it. I like a comfy shirt. Um, there is a story out of uh, Southwest Airlines. Effective for travel beginning September 17th. So that's a month away. They're going to make changes to the existing policies for accommodating customers with disabilities who want to travel with a fully trained service animal in the cabin. Pay attention, people. Pay attention. Especially pay attention if tomorrow you're going to take part in the Clear the Shelter uh, the event where you get to go and find a shelter animal for a relatively low cost. First of all, you have to still provide credible verbal assurance that the animal is a trained service animal. Let me rephrase that. You have to have credible verbal assurance. Like, you have to be really super believable when they ask you, are you sure that's a trained service parrot? And you say, what? Yes. <laughs> Southwest will only accept the following species of animals in our cabin as trained service animals. So I guess the parrot thing is out. But listen, they'll accept dogs. I've seen those. Cats. I know people who have seen those. I brought my cats on planes. They're they're not a service animal, though. Oh, okay. You bring them in a carrier and you stick them below the seat. That's right. Because you are a a rule follower and you're not a faker. (laughs) Okay. 
Dogs, cats, miniature horses. <laughs> Southwest Airlines. Miniature horses. <laughs> Southwest Airlines says you they'll only accept. You can't train a horse not to, you know, do his business. Dogs, cats. Why not? Can you? You could train a cat, can't you? I've got. <laughs> Sorry. I don't think you can train a cat. Um, but you got to make sure that your dog, cat, or horse doesn't scratch excessively whine or whinny. <laughs> bark, growl, bite, lunge, urinate, or defecate in the cabin or the gate area. So, we're getting a little out of control, aren't we? Miniature horses. I w- I would pay to see that on a Southwest Airlines flight, and I would have pre- I would have paid to see it in a Southwest Airlines flight, circa I don't know nineteen ninety seven or something like that. Where Back does it when- stay? Where does it stay? Like yeah, in the horse compartment. I mean, you have to if it's if it's a service animal, it's with you. So does it get its own seat? It can. Can if it'll can fit. miniature horses sit? What a what kind of a speciesist are you? Of course, miniature horses can sit. Get it together. Have you Amy. never seen My Little Pony? What's going on? When have you seen a real horse sitting at the track? Sitting? It's never a good thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's usually if not a, a good sign. If a horse sits at the track, <laughs> no, uh, not a good thing. Your bet when is I was gone. riding, sat down before it laid down with me on its back. Exactly, mm. but they don't sit like a dog might just. Sit. It was brief, yes. All right, that's true. It was a transitional period. We'll do all of what's trending. I ordered the T-shirt. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> Next on Gary and Shannon. On a Sunday afternoon. Really couldn't get away too soon. I can't imagine Gary and Shannon. Flashback Friday, year 1967. Thanks to Aretha Franklin's first hit with respect that same year. Do you think the guy who set the fire, you know, the 23,000 acre fire in the Cleveland National Forest, do you think he's playing crazy or he's legitimate crazy? He had another crazy courtroom appearance today. Uh, if I would have. If I were to guess, remember the interview that was done with him at, outside his cabin was done before he had been arrested. And that was not coherent. Yeah, that's true. I, there's some issues going on. I, I it, Because if he was thinking that he was going to plan this defense before he was even arrested, then all kudos to him. Andrew Malmbeck's going to join us at this time next hour to talk all about that uh, court appearance and what they're going to do with Mr. Crazy Pants. Hey, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. One of the trending stories is one we talked about in the 10 o'clock hour, and it is a strange, strange story. It's the one out of Frederick, Colorado, where Chris Watts uh, is a 33-year-old guy accused of killing his wife and two young daughters, three and four years old. And uh, his wife was pregnant at the time with a boy that they were going to call Nico. They found mom and the girls' bodies in oil and gas tanks on an oil uh, facility that he used to work at, and apparently he told the do- the police the reason he put the bodies there is so that the smell of their decomposition would not be noticed. One of the odd aspects about this case is what we saw in the Scott Peterson case when Lacey was missing. He went on local and national television news broadcasts to talk about his missing wife and daughters, and he sounded very... Flat. He sounded like Eric Garcetti. 
Um, <laughs> but I, to be clear, to be clear Eric, Eric Garcetti is not a killer. But uh, John Bueller is a retired detective. He investigated the murder of Lacey Peterson, and he was on the Today Show today, and he says that Chris Watts was unbelievable and very flat in his statements. And then he said this, which seemed to crystallize it perfectly. He said, he's saying the right thing, but there's nothing convincing about it. It's like he's putting an act on, and he's not a good actor. By the way, I want to play this for you again because it was so creepy. He was doing an interview. This is the guy accused of killing his pregnant wife and two young girls. He was doing an interview outside his house while police dogs were inside his house. You can hear them barking in the middle of the interview. I couldn't do it. it I just, I just want, I want everybody to just come home. Like wherever they're at, come home. That's what I want. I noticed way. that yesterday when I was listening to the interview and thinking, that's not a good sign. <laughs> no. That's and not a good sign for him. I didn't know that those were police dogs. I just thought they were neighborhood dogs at the time. Yeah, because in the beginning of the interview, it's about seven-minute interview, and right in the beginning he says, uh, the canine, the reporter says, oh, the canine dogs are here searching the house, and what do you think about that? And he said something to the effect of, oh, they're, it's great that they're here, and, and they're doing what they need to do. <laughs> wow. And uh, yesterday, prosecutors at the bond hearing did say they believe that the family was killed in that house. On Monday, we're going to get more information because the arrest uh, affidavit is expected to be be unsealed on Monday. Uh, Elon Musk is trending today. Elon Musk says that this has been the most difficult and painful year of his career. It's been excruciating, and it's only gotten worse since last week when he was talking about hoping to convert the publicly traded company into a private one and saying he had secured all the funding he was going to need. He choked up multiple times with the New York Times, talking about how he nearly missed his brother's wedding this summer. He spent his birthday holed up in Tesla's offices and that the exhaustion is taking a toll on his physical health. There was a report that he is uh, big into drugs now. Oh, really? What kind yeah, of drugs? Like hallucinogenic drugs and yeah. and I by, when I say report I, I don't want to give a whole lot of credibility to it but there are I should say rumors is the better way to put it rumors that uh, maybe one of the ways he's dealing with all of the stress that he's feeling is uh, is by getting uh, drunk and hammered all the time well when he talked about taking Tesla private and uh, talking about it the stock being offered at four hundred and twenty dollars he Got a lot of heat about he was high, and that's why he picked 420. And he said, I was not on weed, to be clear. Weed is not helpful for productivity. Anyway. There's a um, uh, a new wrinkle in President Trump's uh, desire to care for veterans. It's one of the things that he refers to all the time when he's talking about candidates, uh, political candidates. When he endorses them, he will say things like, uh, this candidate is big on tax cuts, big on Second Amendment, big on caring for our vets, et cetera, and that's why you should vote for them. Well, there was a meeting that took place back in March of 2017 where the president met with a bunch of people from different uh, vets organizations in the Roosevelt Room. And we're getting details about exactly the odd, odd case of the president kind of knowing what he's talking about, but not knowing exactly what he's talking about, and then getting into trouble later on without stopping and asking questions. I think everybody's fallen into a situation like this. But during the course of this meeting, one of the guys, a guy named Rick Weidman, co-founder of Vietnam Veterans of America, uh, was one of the vets in the day in the room that day, served as a medic back in 1969. And during the course of the meeting, this guy brings up the issue of Agent Orange. 
And the president says, it's taken care of. And they start explaining to the president the VA hasn't really done enough to um, have access to a broader number of vets uh, to have these uh, things available to these vets who had been sickened by Agent Orange. And he said that, is that Agent Orange stuff the stuff from that movie? And then it sounded like we sounded the other day when we were trying to name the Jessica Biel slash Jessica Alba movie with the na- with the word blue in it, where we didn't know what we were talking about. He didn't name the film he was referencing. Pretty clear eventually that he was talking about Apocalypse Now. But a bunch of these people chime in to pr- tell the president um, the Apocalypse Now chemical was napalm. It wasn't Agent Orange. Very different. But but it's just this odd and and sticking to his guns about what he was talking about, knowing, being convinced that he was right, even though he's talking to the people who had to live through this hell that was Agent Orange. Hey, it is be their day. Uh, the goal of this is to realize that you never know what someone may be feeling and not sharing. So what they want you to do is to, you know, maybe call, text someone you haven't talked to in a while, go out of your way, share a smile. Let your friends know you're there for them. They're not alone. I'm texting you right now. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to send the huggy, hugging emotion. Um, speaking of a nice warm hug, yeah. say what you will about Ariana Grande. That girl can sing. And uh, we've posted up a the, She's incredible. Uh, version of You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman that she did last night on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. The Roots in the background, and she was singing... I mean, clearly one of the most talented singers of the generation. Looking out on the morning rain, I used to feel so inspired. So we'll put it up. You can check out the whole thing. Very clear. Very cool. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. The jury in the Paul Manafort trial has delivered a note to the judge in the case. Uh, so far, no indication on what's in that note. Yesterday, the jury asked a few questions of the judge, including a definition on reasonable doubt. Oh, boy. Wow. Uh, I'm actually surprised it's taken this long. Um, <laughs> you need a definition about reasonable doubt? Also, I saw that they had asked to go home for the day already, and it's only 3 o'clock there in D.C. and Virginia. So um, The other story that I saw was that Kamala Harris is expected to make her first Iowa endorsement coming up. Uh, so if there's any doubt about whether or not she will be running for president in a couple of years, that is uh, should be gone by the wayside. And speaking of politics... Did you did you see Andrew Cuomo's comment that America was never that great? Yes. The president immediately jumped on him, and now Cuomo is having to uh, to walk back and say, "Well, I didn't really. I mean, we've been we're great." But he, what he meant is, it hasn't always been great for a number of people. Right. But then he said, "But it's great, or we will be great." Good lord. Yeah. So, well, 
Exciting things happening coming up in, uh, wow, October's right around the corner, isn't it now? We're talking about the air show hitting Huntington Beach. Uh, we've been uh, we've been friends and uh, partners, perhaps I guess you could say, with the Huntington Beach Air Show. This We're is going to be the be partners the, for the Great Pacific Air Show. Yes, Kevin Elliott is uh, the new owner of the Great Pacific Air Show, and he joins us on the line. Hey, how did you get involved with this? Oh, Gary Shannon, pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. I uh, I got involved with this as a local community member. I uh, own a company here in Huntington Beach, Code Four Media Group. And we produce large events around the country. So like you guys, I went to the show as an attendee the first year in 2016, and I said, man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened at the beach. You know, i got to find a way to get involved. So I reached out and uh, through some connections in the local community, was able to offer my services, and now uh, we are at the helm of the air show. This picture of you cracks me up in the L.A. Times. You're just, like, walking along the pier in Huntington Beach, like looking right. like, <laughs> like you're looking deep in deeper, thought. Right, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Um, so tell us what we can expect when we head out there in October. Well, we're excited about bringing the air show back for its third year in Huntington Beach. We have some big changes uh, in store, uh, primarily concerning our uh, elevated viewing experiences, but we have a tremendous lineup prepared. Um, As you know, the first year we had about a half million people to the beach. Um, They all left and told their friends and family. So last year we had an even greater attendance number. We're anticipating this year hopefully having an even better crowd. Um, and we're continuing to grow with new static activations. We hope to have a few aircraft on display. Um, it's really an amazing event. It's truly, you know, inspiring. It's family. It's friendly. It's patriotic. It attracts the types of crowds that we're looking to bring down to the beaches in Southern California. So you can expect a lot of great things this year and even more great things in the years to come. Uh, military demonstration teams going to be involved? Absolutely. We're proud to announce the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds are back this year flying their F-16 Fighting Falcons. Um, if anybody was there in 2016, they got to see the uh, uh, the, Blue, the Thunderbirds excuse me, perform, and uh, they're back with another amazing choreographed show this year. Very cool. And then civilians, too. I, I, we didn't get to go last year, but uh, the civilian aerobatics were just as exciting. Absolutely. We have some pretty cool uh, performers this year. We have a very unique one making its West Coast performance debut, and that is uh, Jeff Bourbon flying a Yak-110, which essentially is a a modified uh, uh, airplane with two fuselages, and it actually has a jet engine on it. So um, the engineering and uh, and effort that goes into preparing some of these aircraft that perform in the show are are pretty tremendous, but it's a crowd favorite um, and certainly made a big impact out at Oshkosh, and we're excited for it to make its West Coast debut with us. So middle of October, October 19th through 21st, is when the free show is scheduled. Where can people uh, find out more information, how to plan for it, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. All the information you need is on our website at pacificairshow.com. Um, we have several different options on there. It is a free air show, um, so you can come down and hang out at the beach. We also offer many ticketed options as far as elevated viewing experiences and VIP hospitality. So uh, we encourage people to go check that out. Again, PacificAirShow.com. Uh, we rely 100% on community support, uh, so there's many opportunities to sponsor, volunteer, participate and for individuals and corporations to get involved, and that's all found on our website. Awesome. Kevin, thanks for taking time for us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Gary Shannon. We look forward to seeing you guys down at the beach. Absolutely. Kevin Elliott there. And again, the PacificAirShow.com is where you're going to find all the information about this air show coming up at Huntington Beach, October 19th through the 21st. You're going to hear a whole lot more about this as we get closer because 
Uh, we're apparently going to be partners with the uh, the air show for the next five years or so. Got to get you in one of those planes, you know? I'll fly in that uh, FedEx 757 that's coming by, if you don't mind. Coming up next, Swamp Watch, we dive into all the Washington news when we return to Gary and Shannon. are blown right now. Tiffany was not the first artist with this song. Didn't we learn that yesterday? Just because this song is great and you think you know who wrote it or who recorded it and made it great? No. It is Free Movie Friday with Adam Tickets. They are giving you a chance of free movie tickets. Text them now. Text reporter to Adam1 for your chance to win. A-T-O-M-1. Adam Tickets app where you can browse movie titles, buy tickets, invite friends, pre-order concessions all from your phone. Skip those lines. Standard data and text message rates may apply. Uh, some of the stories that we're keeping an eye on uh, include the local story about the gynecologist at USC. The L.A. County DA's office is now looking into dozens of sexual assault cases that were turned over by the LAPD as they investigated George Tyndall, the gynecologist. One of many problems that uh, Max Nikias oversaw and did nothing about. Um, also, the Paul Manafort trial. This is an interesting uh, aspect of all of this. The judge has now said he has received death threats. The judge. Who, who is making a death threat against the judge? Not smart. Case? It's not a smart move. The jury, by the way, has submitted a note to the court asking to stop deliberations half an hour early today. Normally, they leave at 5.30. The note asked to leave at 5 p.m. All right, let's uh, use that to launch into Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. We talked yesterday a little bit about the president's dream of having a Veterans Day military parade. And this would be a showing uh, of strength, uh, military aircraft, equipment, personnel, the whole nine. And we talked about it yesterday, about how can we need to show our strength? Isn't it implied? Yeah. You know, we're not a little North Korea. This is not a this is not from a military mind. Um the the people I know who have served, whether it's recently or 50 years ago served, have said this doesn't make a whole lot of sense and goes against the way our military works. We don't go out and advertise how badass we are. We do it. We just prove it. I mean, the one one exception, I mean, small handful of exceptions probably would be things like uh, uh, the uh, flyby at the Rose Bowl or the Blue Angels or, you know, the Golden Knights parachute team. Those are all very, very small examples of the way our military advertises. And that's kind of finger quotes because I, I don't even feel comfortable calling it an advertisement, although that's what it's used for. But we don't need to do a parade down Pennsylvania Avenue with missiles and troops. At, that doesn't make any sense to me. The price tag came out yesterday that this parade, if it had everything that the president wanted it to have, would cost about $92 million. So the president blamed 
D.C., essentially, saying uh, the local politicians who run Washington, D.C. poorly know a windfall when they see it. When asked to give us a price for holding a great celebratory military parade, they wanted a number so ridiculously high that I canceled it. Never let someone hold you up. And he talked about maybe having it next year because the cost would be much cheaper. And I don't understand that thinking, <laughs> why it would be cheaper next year. Well, I don't I don't know if he believes that there would be like enough so much public pressure on the politicians in D.C. that they would lower the price for him. But the president did add, which I think is funny. He did add. Now we can buy some more fighter jets. And I don't know if he has any idea how much a fighter jet costs. Because for $90 million, if that's in fact what the price tag was, and he's going to pull back in that $90 million and not spend it on a parade, but spend it on fighter jets, how many does that buy? Six? Four? We're not talking dozens, that's for sure. A, uh, a spokesman for the, the Pentagon. The F-22? Is $35 million. $350 million. Oh, that's what I meant to say. So, in other words, we could buy a wing of an F-22. <laughs> yeah. The uh the FA eighteen Hornet, ninety four million. Oh, well maybe he just uh, meant the one. EA eighteen G Growler, a hundred and two million. The Osprey, the V twenty two, a hundred and eighteen million. The F thirty five Lightning two, a hundred and twenty two million. Okay, now you're just piling on. The E two D Advanced Hawkeye, <laughs> two hundred and thirty two million. A Pentagon spokesman said that the military and the White House had agreed to explore opportunities in 2019. Um, by the way, Shannon knows that all those are not fighter jets she was making. I was just looking Before at military start, aircraft. A-2 is not a... I know. You're, thank you for clarifying that. V-22 is not a... I was <laughs> just looking at it. military aircraft. Yes. But, you know, we did hear back from some veterans yesterday yeah. when, when you asked. Because I did. My, my question was, if there's anybody out there who has served or is serving in the military that would that is behind this idea, I'd love to hear from you because I don't I haven't heard from you. So if you if you are in favor of having a military parade that the style of which the president is talking about, I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to hear why you think it would be an important thing or a necessary thing, because I don't I don't I don't think it is. And it would be a waste of, in my opinion, tens of millions of dollars. We're secure enough with our strength. We don't need to go out and, uh, and like you said, I, it's not the right word, but advertise it. Yeah, it's a strange story. All right, when we come back, we're going to continue with Swamp Watch. I have some stories about uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Eric Garcetti, both of them potential candidates for president in 2020 and how they're going about very different ways of doing it. And how different they would be in terms of candidates. Although, I do think that Kamala Harris has a leg up on Eric Garcetti because at least she's not putting people to sleep yet. Yeah, he needs to find that spark if he's going to make any headway. All right, Gary and Shannon, Swamp Watch continues when we return. Stevie Wonder was one of the guys who went and saw Aretha Franklin in her last days. Oh, really? And 
I thought yesterday when I saw his name come up when we were talking about Aretha Franklin and her passing yesterday morning. Uh, he's not a he's not a spring chicken, but he's one of those people who has a similar career in terms of the length of time, the range, yeah, and the abilities that this guy had, this Stevie Wonder had, and uh, the collaborations that he and the songs that he wrote that you don't realize. I mean, and the B sides, yeah, you know the the great B side. A B-side, guys, is uh, back. You've told us a few times. Okay, okay. what's a B-side like? It's when you flip it over and flip there's what more over? What are we talking about? The vinyl. The vinyl. The vinyl. B-side specifically refers to the single, though. The little 45 that's got one song on one side, and the, the A-side, the and the B on the other Which side. Which you flipped it over. Okay. Stop being a wise ass. There's been some great B-sides. I went down that hole yesterday. The best B-sides. It's a fun hole to go down. It's worth a Google. It is worth a Google. We've uh, been telling you some stories, by the way, that uh, we're keeping an eye on. The he- the headlines for today include the uh, gynecologist at USC, George Tyndall. The LAPD did the investigation, and they've turned over dozens of cases, they say, to the L.A. County DA's office. So they're going to be the ones who are going to decide whether or not George Tyndall is charged with any of these crimes or it can be because the uh, potential for statute of limitations to have run out on some of them. But remember, he was the gynecologist accused of hundreds of separate acts of sexual abuse for uh, doing these exams incorrectly and not following in medical practices when he was doing them. Uh, The other one is that the Vatican, along those lines, I guess, the Vatican has responded with shame and sorrow. Those are the words from the Vatican over the Pennsylvania grand jury report on sex abuse in the church that we talked so much about yesterday. Locally, I wanted to get into this. Gavin Newsom interviewed uh, at a hotel downtown L.A. by some political reporters. And I don't think it's a good idea for him to jump on this train, and he has. Train. He is standing beside the high-speed rail project. He's standing beside the gas tax increase as well, and we'll slide that over and leave that for John and Ken. But for him to hang his hat on this high-speed rail project the way it is right now is asinine. He, I, it, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I wonder why this isn't made more of, uh, why, why people like John Cox uh, or anybody who opposes Gavin Newsom as governor doesn't hold this up and say, listen— I mean, outside of the dig at how can you trust uh, Gavin Newsom if you can't trust him with your wife or whatever it is, uh, how do you how do you trust a guy who is still all in on high speed rail in California? First of all, it's not high speed rail. So the L.A. Times and everyone else needs to stop calling it that. If it was high speed rail and if it was economically feasible i'd be all about it it would be great to jump on a train and get to san francisco in two hours absolutely i mean assuming they clean up the crap off the streets it it would be great it would be great for tourism it would uh, dump money into the local economies more so than than now but that's not what it would be there would be so many stops that it would take five hours or longer to get there and the estimated price tag just balloons and, and balloons and balloons. He acknowledged the cost uh, does exceed the estimated price tag when state voters approved the system 10 years ago now. Can you believe that? That was 10 years ago. Um, but he says 
this is a project I can support. <laughs> he thinks that, uh, or he hopes, excuse me, yeah, hope in one hand, he hopes the completion of the first stage will attract private investors to pay for the extension of the rail no. line to Southern California. Why? And that is something that they have been saying for months, and it just doesn't happen. The what investors be, have not materialized. What would be appealing for a private investor to be involved with that? Because remember, the idea of high-speed rail from L.A. to San Francisco, the simplest plan, the simplest one was the first one that was shot down, which was roll that thing right down the middle of I-5. Yeah. That's it. You own the land or most of it. If not, you can make a deal with the government, the federal government, to get that. the simplest idea, right? No, no, we're going to we have to make sure that we appease the different districts and make sure that we start in a specific area and and have it, uh, you know, run in sections so that we get money to the Central Valley for none of that made any sense. And his delusion that this is going to be something that's appealing to private investors who is running from from Madeira to the Silicon Valley. Here's the other thing. This is not in the conception phase. I said earlier, 10 years ago is when voters okayed this mess. 10 years ago, I, I'm looking around. I don't see many investors raising their hand to get involved with this. It's not like, oh, well, when the ball gets rolling, uh, people will be more interested. Uh, it's been rolling for 10 years, yeah. and I'm not seeing people line up. It's, it's got to be held up as just a giant money-sucking fairy tale and, and proof that people who run Sacramento could care less about whether or not it's your money they don't give a damn. They just want more of it. That's all. It's not uh, even a unicorn fairy tale. You know, it's like a it's not even a good like one. a scary, you know, nightmare. It's like a grim a, fairy tale. Yes. Brothers Grimm. Yes. Kamala Harris is going to make her first endorsement in an Iowa campaign today. She is, of course, the senator from the state of California. She is going to endorse some uh, someone named Deidre DeGere for Iowa Secretary of State. Deidre previously won the endorsement from the Our Revolution. That's a Bernie Sanders group. So that gives you an idea of her politics. She's running against Paul Pate for Secretary of State in November. And I wanted to play this for you because I know it's been making a lot of headlines. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, the uh, governor of the state of New York, made a comment that caught the president, um, caught the president's ear. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. We have not reached greatness. We will reach greatness when discrimination and stereotyping against women, 51% of our population is gone. Okay, now, to to give you the context of his statement, not to explain it away, because I think it was a total foot-and-mouth time, but... He was talking about gender-based discrimination in the United States. So in that context, we've had some dark days, right? I mean, in terms of whether or not women were given the right to vote 100-plus years ago. But before that, you know, you could argue that women didn't have it very great here in the United States. But come on. You cannot attack the president's key line like that and not expect to be taken down. He said, the president said in a tweet, Big pushback on Governor Cuomo of New York for his really dumb statement about America's lack of greatness. Because all you got to do is play it out of context, and it's going to work against him. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. Nice. 
He just means it wasn't great for I know. segments of the population. I know. It just it, it didn't sound very good. But if you have the thing is, if he has to add context to a statement like that, yeah. it's not the way we work anymore. We we play in sound bites, and he's got to know that. Coming up next, we will go to Orange County. Andrew Molenbeek is going to join us. Tell us all about the outburst today for a guy accused of starting the fire in the Cleveland National Forest at his court hearing. Next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Who wrote this song, Blake? Who wrote it or who's singing it? Well, okay, who's singing it first? The Buckinghams. Right. Uh, 67 had great music. I feel like Kent Buckingham. (laughs) Any relation to Lindsay? That's who you think wrote it, huh? Um, I feel like... Okay, well, you go down that hole. Uh, Uh, We are keeping our eye on the big stories for you today. Of course, Tesla shares falling as investors are dealing with another issue surrounding Elon Musk, the CEO. He did a big interview with the New York Times talking about stress is, is taking a heavy toll on him. That took a toll on the Tesla stocks today. Also in Italy, remember that bridge that collapsed, killed more than 30 people? Uh, a mayor in southern Italy now closed down a bridge that was designed by the same architect. Uh-oh. Saying that it's better to have inconveniences than trouble for bridge users. Well, I suppose that is a very <laughs> it was a general theme. Yes, it's better to have a bridge standing up empty than collapsed with people on it. I just wonder if the only reason he shut it down is because it's the same architect. Or if there was any, you know problem or wear and tear going on uh there's another story that's been just looming off of our coast literally do you notice how warm the water is lately awkwardly record-setting warm ocean water temperatures really yes um uh on august 9th they were clocked at 79.5 degrees and we've seen warm waters recently because of el nino especially starting in 2014 um but usually water temperatures get back to historical averages after an El Nino, but this that's not what has happened. It's, uh, for some reason, close to 80 degrees, which is highly unusual. Add to that the high surf watches that we've had in effect for the last couple of days, and it's uh, it's actually great for surfers and potentially dangerous for everybody else. The guy that uh, authorities say started the fire in the Cleveland National Forest, burning through 23,000 acres, was in court today, and fireworks once again. Andrew Mullenbeck was there, joins us now Live, Andrew, tell us what happened. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Well, this go-round didn't uh, come off any better than the first attempt. Remember last week there was the initial attempt to arraign Forrest Clark? Uh, That got shut down because of bizarre antics. And so the second attempt was today, and we didn't make it through again. And it was because of these outbursts and antics. It started from the moment that he walked in, and he appeared behind a, a cage. It's really kind of a shoot where defendants appear for their arraignment and unprompted right away he shouted out that he was innocent uh, similar to last week but from there it just got more and more bizarre and all the reporters that were kind of sitting there even had trouble writing down or making sense of what he was saying but at one point he 
kind of portrayed himself as otherworldly. And then he said he was a utility for transmitting energy. And he said he was transmitting his live energy through the TV cameras and other cameras that were focused on him hmm, that there makes in sense. the courtroom. Is there any proof to that? Is there any way to prove whether or not he is, in fact, a utility that is transmitting energy? Did you, you know, I'll feel, have to look into that. Did you I'll feel have to look a, if, a force field around him? I felt something, and it was, it was kind of strange. <laughs> and uh, then there was another uh, moment, kind of a bizarre claim. He mentioned another lawyer, totally unconnected to his case, who happened to be in the courtroom, and he pointed out the red tie that this lawyer was wearing, and he said... That tie was a Windsor knot, which meant the lawyer was connected to the Windsor family and therefore would be good at representing him. Mm. So it it was at that point that the judge in open court publicly questioned his competency to stand trial. And lawyers went back for a second recess. When they came back, uh, she ordered that he undergo two different mental evaluations, one, of course, from the, the prosecution side and the other from the defense. Uh, but uh, the whole hearing was put off until October now while he undergoes some kind of uh, mental evaluation. Uh, some people were already expecting that after the first appearance last week, which was also full of outbursts. Uh, he also at one point jumped up on a bench from where he was appearing and had to be talked off that. He had an envelope with him. I'm not sure how he got that, but he pressed it up against the glass as if to show a message. We couldn't really see what it was. It may have been an address just on it. Uh, but it, the whole appearance was just a series of unusual behavior and and sort of wild claims, some of which we couldn't really figure out what he was talking about. So how does that conclude? Do, they, do the lawyers and the judge talk about him when he's out of the room, or does everything have to happen while he's there? He was in the room the entire time. Uh, there was one conference at the bench, and another time I believe they went back into the judge's chambers, so their conversation was away from him. But he was so adamant about speaking. The way they appear at this particular facility is there's a microphone that goes right to the, the cage area where the defendants appear. And anytime the microphone is in front of him, everybody in court can hear what he's saying. And his outbursts had become so disruptive that the public defender actually had to move the microphone away from him so he would quit speaking, or at least speaking so loudly that nothing could get done. Because every time the judge tried to ask him a question, he would just go on totally unrelated rants. And finally, the judge had enough. He was even trying to talk at the very end when she was uh, trying to continue the arraignment. Um, but the mic was taken away. The judge said, that's it. We'll we'll talk again in October. Hey, what do they have on this guy connecting him to the fire? Have we found that out? They really still haven't said much uh, as far as the evidence that they have. Again, we're talking about this email in which he said the whole place is going to burn shortly before it burned. And, and what we've been told by prosecutors is some physical evidence at the cabin that he was staying at. But beyond that, we haven't seen any hard evidence uh, or haven't heard about the evidence that they may have linking him to the, the starting of this fire. One thing that it was sort of interesting today, although we didn't get to talk to them, uh, but there were some other neighbors that live in the Cleveland National Forest area that have cabins, you know, more than a dozen burned. Uh, some of them were actually in court today. And it was curious to me what they might have been thinking, whether the behavior that they saw today was consistent with the man that they've known for years, 
or if they thought any of it was trumped up, because that's really anecdotally one of the, the questions going around here is, is this truly the man he is, or is there some degree of showmanship for another purpose? And that's just a question we don't know at this point. All right. Andrew, uh, your your tie was not red today, right? No. You know what? I looked down to check. Because when, <laughs> when, when he said that, he started talking about a man in a red tie and a Windsor knot. I thought, well, I always tie a Windsor knot. And I looked at No, I, I was not wearing a red tie. And, in fact, he was talking about another lawyer. Are you connected to the Windsor family? No. No, mm. I'm not that either. Mm. So two strikes against me. Okay. Oh, well. Nice try. I hope Feeling you an a, energy coming from you today. Nice, a live energy. Yes. Nice weekend in your blue tie and lack of relationship to the royal family. Boring. <laughs> Andrew, thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. God, we're terrible. He hates us. You know, we... I would hate... If I was Andrew, I would hate us. I would, too. But and, I think it's like the years that we had to go on Handel and John and Ken, and they abused us, that makes us the degree of Apple that we are. It's just, so we're hazing him? He's been here for three years. It's kind of like children of abuse grow up to be abusers themselves. It's nothing like that. Oh. God. Mo on the movies when we come back. Oh, thank goodness. stories that we have been following today, including the Paul Manafort trial, it's getting a little weird because the jury at one point today was asking questions of the judge, including, uh, what was the one question about? What is reasonable doubt? Reasonable doubt, that's what it was. What is reasonable doubt? That is not a Um, good sign. But the judge also said he'd been getting death threats, that the judge himself is getting death threats, and that he doesn't travel without U.S. Marshals for security. Uh, And he says because of that, because of the tension around this trial, he will not reveal the names of the jurors. Uh, He'll leave that up to them if they want to do that. The Vatican is also out with its response to that big grand jury report regarding sex abuse in the church in Pennsylvania. They called it shame and sorrow and said that uh, Pope Francis wants to wipe out these kinds of crimes from the church. 120 on a Friday means we get to hang out with our friend Mo Kelly. Welcome to Mo on the Movies. Oh, Red. Don't be ridiculous, darling. It's Mo on the Movies. Kiss me. Not a chance. Well, Mo, on a week that they released the uh, Blu ray uh, for Avengers. Uh, the latest Avengers movie came out on Tuesday on Blu-ray, DVD, etc. There have been questions about whether or not Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn was going to stay on. This is one of those guys that got caught up in, I tweeted some really stupid things several years ago and regret them. And Disney said, then you you have nothing to do with us anymore. Yeah, under the guise of humor. It wasn't funny then, and it's not funny now. Right. It was bad judgment. But at the same time, I understood why Disney said you have to go because they want no type of controversy. The strange thing was there was a groundswell of support for James Gunn by not only his fans, but Marvel went to Disney and said, hey, the, the parent company, hey, parent company, can can you, you know, just cut us a solid here on this one? And Disney said no, and I understand why. Because if you say yes to Marvel and bring back James Gunn, 
then what do you say to the fans of Roseanne? Right. Yeah, I don't know if – do you think that actually came up? I mean, that I, specific I really, incident? I right. wasn't there, but I have to assume that they would have to be able to foresee what type of pushback they would get from not only bringing back James Gunn, but one of their other subsidiaries saying ABC, like, well, well what the hell? Yeah. Uh, the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy, I understand that they were also in support of James Gunn. More specifically, Dave Bautista, who played uh, Drax, he said if they don't use the James Gunn script for Guardians 3, he's out. He's done. We don't know specifically about Chris Pratt mm-hmm. or Zoe Saldana. They talk about the whole cast supporting, but we don't know to what degree. Right. Are they willing to walk away? And if you know Marvel, Marvel has no problem, if it comes to that, replacing I characters. I mean, they replaced Rhodey from Terrence Howard to, to Don Cheadle. Sure. Um, they replaced Incredible Hulk from Ed Norton to Mark Ruffalo. They will do it if need be. It's not preferred, but it's not unheard of. Hmm. All right. Well, we got a bunch that are coming, a bunch of movies that are coming out this weekend. One of them that's actually coming out limited. It's it's been out for uh, some time, I believe, and I think part of the Me Too movement got caught up in Billionaire Boys Club, group of wealthy boys in L.A. during the early '80s, established a the get rich quick scheme to um, that that turns deadly. And if you remember, this was a two part TV movie back in 1987 with Judd Nelson. Computers. Quotrons for stocks and commodities in every desk. And in just a few weeks, a bunch of guys we knew from school had joined us. It was very exciting. We just had another $100,000 day. Such bad sound editing in that movie in 1987. Uh, Ansel Elgort is in the new version. Taron Edgerton, Emma Roberts, and this is where the Me Too movement came in. Kevin Spacey. Was anyone really clamoring for this remake? No. No. No, nobody was. But this looks like a funny scene. Kevin Spacey and a guy playing Andy Warhol are in a booth at a restaurant, and one of these young guys comes up to him. And the only reason I threw it in there is because Kevin Spacey, at the very end of it, talks about, well, you'll hear. Mr. Levin, I wanted to say thank you for the wine. And, but, of course, I had to bring my partner with me. Well, I guess I'll have to respect that. But if you don't call me Ron, I might have to murder you. And this is my friend Andy, Andy. Joe. It's a pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you. Andy is in town doing, are you ready, an episode of The Love Boat with Milton Berle. On, apparently, Milton Berle has a love boat between his legs. <laughs> now, I, I had to cut off the second part of that joke. Did you say cut off? Yes. <laughs> because because uh, Kevin Spacey makes a, makes a D joke about uh, Milton Berle. No. And I just thought that was the, the funniest juxtaposition considering what he's accused of having done for so long. Does that even play anymore if only because... You have to be a certain age to appreciate Milton Berle. You have to be a certain age. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, that's why Conway played. We have that promo of Conway going Milton Berle reference. How does, <laughs> yeah. That doesn't even make sense to 90 percent right. of yeah. the audience. Um, the wife comes out today. Christian Slater is in this one. Uh, Max Irons, the son of uh, Jeremy Irons, Glenn Close and her daughter, Annie Stark, a wife questioning her life choice as she travels to Stockholm with her husband. She, he is slated to receive a Nobel Prize for Literature. Annie Stark actually is a writer as well. She is a spitting image of her mom. Oh, Annie really? Annie Stark, Glenn Close's daughter. Oh, I would really? say if you, if you, yes. More so than the street mother-daughter connection? Um, 
Yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I think she's a little bit prettier than her mom. Uh, and I love Glenn Close. Yes. You're right. They they are very similar. But yeah, she is a little bit. You know, I think Glenn Close gets a bad rap because of the whole rabbit on the stove thing. That was the only movie, and I'm going to try to say this respectfully, that was the only movie I thought that she was attractive in. Oh, interesting. So you like crazy women. I said attractive as in like physically attractive. Mm-hmm. You like she has crazy very women. Hard it's features. weird. You know, I do like crazy women because women because that actually means the sex is going to be better. Yeah, that's a lot. Jody Arias. No, that's a if lot. If she doesn't, if she doesn't kill me, she, I'd give her a chance. Casey Anthony. If she crazy doesn't I, kill me, yeah. I mean, swinging from the chandeliers. I mean. Blake is plugging his ears right now. He doesn't need to hear it. That's the other, great. I really appreciate that refreshing honesty. That it, it, was a lot of honesty. Can't there. have for a long term relationship. Not uh, more than twenty minutes at a time. Never bring him home to mom. <laughs> hey, it's free movie Friday. <laughs> With Adam Tickets, they're giving you a chance at free movie tickets. Text him now. Text reporter to Adam1 for your chance to win. A-T-O-M-1, Adam Tickets app. Or you can browse movie titles, buy tickets, invite friends, pre-order concessions, all from your phone. Skip those lines. Standard data and text message rates may apply. Wanted to give Mo a chance to pitch the uh, Aretha tribute that you did as well that's available online. Oh, yes, yeah, we were you, just listening you, to that. If you haven't heard it yet, you can find it at KFIAM640.com. It was posted in KFI on the Pulse section you could probably find it at mrmokelly.com i don't know where else this kfi has posted it but i took a lot of time to put together just her life history but also set it to her music yeah and if you love anything about aretha franklin how better to celebrate her life and legacy than through song i like i like your line at the beginning too where you say listen you you may not know you love aretha franklin but you do but you will and you do (laughs) you you'll you'll get It'll be confirmed. All right. Thanks, Mo. Thank you. Uh, all right. We come back. Uh, replay of our Peter Vronsky interview. This is the guy from the uh, the book uh, called Sons of Cain, looking all into the history about serial killers. That's up next on Gary and Chan. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. The jury in that Paul Manafort tax fraud trial has submitted a note to the court this afternoon, wanted to go home early. Wanted to go home at 5 rather than 5.30. I guess they realized they weren't going to get anywhere today. Jury yesterday asked the judge about uh, a definition for reasonable doubt. So there's that. A mayor in southern Italy closed down a bridge designed by the same architect who created that collapsed bridge in Genoa, the one that killed 38 people. And Tesla had a rough day on Wall Street because Elon Musk said in an interview that the stress is getting to him. Mm. We introduced you earlier this week to uh, Peter Vronsky. Wrote a book called Sons of Cain, A History of Serial Killers from the Stone Age to the Present. Peter, first of all, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I much appreciate it. I got I to gotta be honest with you. Being fascinated with serial killers is uh, kind of a dark hobby, don't you think? Um, you know, we've always been fascinated by monsters and things that go, you know, bump in the night, and certainly serial killers meet that category. I think that the fascination stems from our need to protect ourselves from these people and, and, and to figure them out. And you spent a lot of time figuring out serial killers through history. What kind of commonalities did you find, if any? 
Well, I think um, some of the commonalities are um, that serial killers essentially are either born or made um, in childhood, uh, nearly 20 years before they first uh, start killing. So um, we're talking about children uh, between the ages of 5 and 14 that um, are often traumatized. Uh, There's other combinations of things that happen. It's never one single thing, but whatever it is, uh, at that early age, it starts them off on this fantasy of revenge and, and, and control. Uh, and on average, statistically, uh, when they reach around the age of 27 and 28, they'll cross from fantasy to reality and, and, and take their first life. Is this a particularly American phenomenon, these serial killers? We used to think that, but it isn't. Uh, Serial killers appear in surges um, all around the world. Um, I've tracked serial killers back to the Renaissance era um, in Europe. Uh, I can't speak about other civilizations, other cultures, but certainly European and North American culture, um, they've been with us since, you know, since the beginning. What causes a surge in serial killers? Well, that's the mystery. Uh, and, and when I looked at these uh, surges, um, you know, we've often, particularly the last big surge, the so-called golden age of serial killing, when we had 82% of American serial killers in the 20th century emerged in the last three decades, 1970 to 1999. And, and, and so that baffles us. And so one of the theories, of course, was, was to look at the period in which they're killing. And, and of course, you know, you have the 1960s that are a very violent era of disorder. You have the hedonistic 1970s. You have the greed of the 1990s and so forth. And so we often associated serial killers with what was happening during the time they were killing. However, if they're actually coming into formation as children, then you've got to back that up some 20 years, 25 years or so. And so when I looked at that golden age period, um, I suddenly realized that these were kids being brought up by a generation of people and families that were, one, broken uh, by the Great Depression during the 1930s, um, and secondly, traumatized by um, their experiences in the Second World War, which, um, you know, we never really acknowledged uh, just, you know, how brutal that war was and the kind of toll it took on our GIs. And, and certainly the absence of a father figure, um, a disintegrating family is one of those common things we find in serial killer uh, biographies during their, their childhood. So, um, you know, war trauma, uh, economic collapse creates uh, disintegrated families, disintegrated families spawn serial killers and other offenders. I found it most interesting, the idea that these fathers that were uh, either absent because of war or who came back and then were emotionally absent because of war, combined with overbearing mothers, because I think that's what a lot of, that's sort of the trope for a lot of these serial killers, is that mom was the overbearing one here. 
Yes, and um, you know, there's a good theory behind it that that um, I find kind of attractive. The theory is 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 that you know every male child needs to negotiate uh, kind of an independence from their mother's authority, and so if you have a overbearing mother uh, that stifles that independence, uh, the child in frustration begins to develop this kind of rage against the female figure. Um, so that alone is is you know not the cause because you know a lot of us have overbearing mothers uh, we don't become serial killers but but when you combine that with a cocktail of other factors they could be biochemical um, they could be hereditary they could be situational and, and so forth that certainly is one of the common factors again in serial killer biographies but you know we haven't figured out that X factor um, you know because millions of children uh, have had traumas in their lives and, and have been abused, they do not necessarily become serial killers. So there has to be, you know, other factors. And, and we still haven't identified that X factor. Um, and at this point, I would not, you know, write off good old-fashioned biblical evil yet, whatever that might be. We're talking to Peter Vronsky, the author of Sons of Cain, a history of serial killers from the Stone Age to the present. And I want to go back to the beginning beginning, Peter, with the idea that successful cavemen were serial killers. And did our brain chemistry kind of evolve to make it more likely that we would become a serial killer to survive? Um, absolutely. You, you know, it's um, it's just more than successful cavemen. It's just human beings, homo sapiens, primitive homo sapiens. Um, we have to be able to serially kill to survive because we were essentially living like an animal in the jungle. Um, and, you know, we had these highly developed instincts to either flee or fight. Uh, and, and, and so we're essentially, you know, been living that way for over 300,000 years, and it's only in the last 15 to 12,000 years that we've become civilized. We start living in societies, organized societies, and, and those organized societies teach us um, to inhibit these violent impulses. But, you know, 12,000 years out of 300,000 years is not a lot of time for us as a human species to, you know, update our software in the brain. And, and so we're all born with these instincts hardwired into our beings, um, and we're taught by good parenting, by luckily being in a good environment, uh, to inhibit these violent, violent instincts. Um, and, and so my argument is, is that, um, you know, serial killers aren't made. Most of us are unmade as serial killers. Those that remain a kind of in their natural state with these instincts highly developed sometimes fuse together because, you know, uh, you as well as, as, as a kind of uncivilized homo sapien would have to have a highly developed reproductive instinct as well. And, and sometimes the reproductive instinct is also fused with the aggression instinct. And, and so you get, for example, the phenomenon of sexual sadism, um, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's these two primitive, what we call reptilian instincts that all living things have in them. The difference is, is of course, civilization discourages us and teaches us to inhibit them. 
More with Peter Vronsky when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Amy King, what's up? Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Jury in the Trump campaign chairman, former Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, uh, asked a judge to leave early today, one day after they asked for a definition of reasonable doubt. He faces life in prison if convicted. Interesting. All right. We're talking with Peter Vronsky, uh, who wrote a book about serial killers, and I, for some reason, cannot say it correctly, dating back to caveman days. And I wanted to ask you, even though you went back that far in history, are you excited about revelations of new serial killers, like uh, the Golden State Killer that we've talked about before? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, that's a fascinating case because, first of all, it's a case that um, occurred again in the Golden Age. Um, so it occurred in the previous century. Uh, and, and of course, the mystery for us in cases like that, and, and there are several, including the Green River Killer, the BTK Killer, um, these were all serial killers who were killing in the 70s or 80s or 90s and, and then appeared um, to retire, like, like the Zodiac. Um, and so to find these guys still alive and that they were living their lives, that they managed to somehow stop serial killing is, is something that fascinates us um, as, as, you know, historians of serial homicide, uh, because, you know, that's the big question, whether serial killers ever stop on their own. Peter, before we let you go, do you predict another surge? Well, you know, if my hypothesis about the combination of um, the Great Depression and the Second World War 20 years later spawning this generation of, you know, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy serial killers is correct, then if we look at the war on terror, that not only our um, fathers are fighting, but mothers as well now, um, and a very secretive war. This is this is not as public a war as the Vietnam War was. Uh, and uh, on top of that, this financial crisis in 2008 that just devastated families, and you have you know a generation of kids now growing up in motels, um, you know, with no home essentially, who saw their home torn apart. They saw their their their, their father losing his job, his prom. Um, it's it's you know there's a lot of families that were destroyed in that and and so you know 20 years from now as these kids begin to approach the age of 27 28 that average age you better watch out do you think that they are turned off from serial killing when they hear about dna technology and do you think they're turned off by the the fact that it's more likely they, they could get caught these days or does that not go into the calculus it doesn't go into the calculus because serial killing is an addiction. Um, and like any addiction, you're sometimes aware of, of its harmful aspects, uh, but you act on that addiction. See, serial killing is an addiction to perfect the realization of a fantasy. What happens to a serial killer is, you know, remember, they're nurturing this fantasy sometimes as early as the age of five. And, and so they're comforted by this fantasy, and they slowly take it out on the road. They try to test it with, uh, you know, smaller crimes 
like voyeurism or fetish burglaries where they may steal uh, female garments that they're obsessed with, you know, m minor crimes. Uh, but eventually they cross that line around, again, the age of 27, 28, and they take their first life. Um, and, of course, it's a shock to them that reality is never like the fantasy that they had. And, and now it's too late for them to return back to the fantasy, having tested it in reality. So every serial killing is an attempt by the serial killer to improve the realization of their fantasy. You know, if only the victim had done this instead of what they actually did, you know, I would have fulfilled my fantasy. And, and so you begin this kind of chasing the dragon's tail, circular addiction to improving one's fantasy. The name of the book is Sons of Cain, uh, like Cain and Abel, Sons of Cain, A History of Serial Killers from the Stone Age to the Present. Peter Vronsky, again, amazing stuff. Thank you for your time today. Hey, hey today is what? Be there day. Today is be there day. And you never know what someone might be uh, might be going through that they're not showing you. And this opportunity for you to text someone or maybe talk to someone you haven't talked to in a while, go out of your way to make someone smile because one in five Americans deals with mental health conditions, which means uh, all of us, if not a lot of us, have uh, had to deal with somebody who's touched by mental illness. So uh, we have a partner called Wellbeing Trust, and uh, they're encouraging you to share your story today on social using the hashtag be there. John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow and probably Friday or Monday or beginning What's to going fade. On? I'm fading. It's Gary and Shannon. Stay dry. A big build up there, and he did not deliver at all. What a shame. Nobody wants to see that.